Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Insider Podcast. This is Scott Pierce with the American College of Radiology, and today we are joined by Dr. Amy Patel, who's a breast imager at Beth Israel Deaconess, and Rob Mackey, who's a radiologist at Doctors Imaging Group in Gainesville, Florida. Dr. Patel and Dr. Mackey, thank you very much for both joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Great. So this episode really, uh, the genesis for it was at RSNA last year where Dr. Patel and I started talking and Dr. Patel said that she had had some conversations with residents uh, who had been asking her questions about what she basically wished she had known when she was a resident. And she thought it'd be a great idea to bring in Dr. Mackey for his perspective uh, as in private practice to kind of juxtapose that and play off of her experience in an academic institution. So that's kind of where we're at right now. So Dr. Patel and Dr. Mackey, if you could think back a little bit to when you were first coming into re- your residency programs, uh, if you could just kind of go through a little bit about what your expectations were as you were entering into your residencies. Yeah, absolutely. So um you know, I, sim- I think just like all residents, you go into it wanting, you just simply want a good training program. Um, I knew that I wanted to go somewhere that was high volume, uh, both diagnostically and procedurally. Um, but, you know, it's a little unique in my situation because as a female going into radiology, I knew that um, it is a male-dominated field. So I was actually particularly looking for strong mentorship and support. Um because I really wanted to make sure that the program had my back and that any opportunity that I potentially wanted to pursue, that um, I was able to do that. So, um, and I also just wanted some opportunities available to me outside of diagnostic radiology, uh, particularly um, in the realm of, like I kind of alluded to, leadership training, um, governance, uh, the business of radiology, because um, when I was in medical school, I had heard that radiology, a lot of it is like a business, and I was very intrigued by that component, and uh, as well as uh, political advocacy, I knew that uh, the radiologists had a pretty strong voice uh, when it came to that, so um, that's those are probably the main things that I was looking for, but I think simply just a good training program was uh, my number one priority. Uh, if I could just ask a real quick follow-up on that. You said that you were looking for programs that had good mentorship opportunities. So in looking at programs outside, obviously, of just the clinical training, how did you go about looking for these different programs for different things that they offer that you were looking at specifically? And what advice would you give to residents as they're considering different residency programs for what to look at and how to research those? Well, I mean, some programs, I think, do a good job of marketing certain um, programs or initiatives they have. Like, you know, I know that uh, University of Indiana has a very strong women in radiology group, and they do a great job at marketing that on social media and in interviews and things like that. But for me, particularly, I know the or I knew the importance of having a very strong program director, and I wanted to, you know, I think a lot of it is kind of like... um, sort of um, just inherently you know that this program director is going to have your back or there's just certain something about him or her that you know you're going to have their support. So a lot of that for me was just getting the feel of the different program directors when I was interviewed by him or her and kind of think, thinking, okay, could this be somebody who could really be my ally, could really uh, foster my interest and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, of course, researching different types of initiatives that would involve mentorship at these institutions is imperative. But really, I think for me, it came down to the program director and sort of the feel that I got from him or her. 
Great. Thank you. And Dr. Mackey, as you were entering into your residency program, were you aware of what the requirements were going to be, how intense it was going to be, the demands on your time, et cetera? And how did you prepare for what you were going to be getting yourself into? Yeah, no, so actually, I, I kind of really had no idea uh, what to expect. Uh, my experience with radiology was kind of unique as a med student because uh, where I did my rotation, they didn't have um, an actual residency program there yet, but they're in the process of forming one. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I didn't actually interact with uh, residents. Uh, instead, I just kind of interacted with attendings all day. And so that gave me a whole kind of different perspective, um, which was, you know, I kind of got to see what it is actually like kind of when you're on the other end of it, kind of done with residency. Um, so kind of in my mind, I kind of skipped through about, about four years there and got to jump to the good stuff uh, of what it's like when you're out. So my, uh, you know, going into residency, I was kind of a little bit uh, and definitely in a different place than, than where Amy was and I think uh, most traditional uh, radiology residents start. And to echo kind of what Rob's saying, I, I totally wholeheartedly agree. I think you never really know what to truly expect uh, going into radiology because, you know, we're not taught very much radiology in medical school unless there's a mandatory rotation or you, or you get to have multiple electives, time permitting when you're in medical school. So there's an incredibly steep learning curve in the beginning, and I don't think you really understand that until you live it. So I definitely agree with Rob um, regarding that statement. Yeah, and another thing, you know, from medical students that I've observed, you know, during, throughout my residency, I was, I was involved with medical students every day. And, uh, and, you know, one thing I can definitely say is a lot different between a radiology rotation and any other rotation is that, you know, as a medical student on, in, you know, internal medicine or surgery or, um, you know, any elective GI or pulmonology, you, you know, you pretty much day to day you have a, kind of, it's kind of a task-based day. I mean, you know, you have rounds in the morning, you see your patients throughout the day, you kind of report to your attending in, at the end of the day, and, and somewhere throughout there you usually have an educational lecture. Well, you know, with radiology, you don't, you don't really have that because medical students can't, you know, dictate practice reports. In other rotations, they can kind of help out with the note and help the residents put their notes together, and it's all supervised by residents and signed off by residents, but they kind of have more of a, a role in, in actually writing things or doing things, whereas in radiology, you just kind of, you know, watch the residents or the attendings, you know, do what they do, and, and you don't really, you know, there's no opportunity for you to kind of, you know, dictate a, a practice report or anything like that. But I think radiology is very unique in that sense. Interesting. Thank you. And Dr. Mackey, when considering going into residency, if you could kind of take a look back here and go back in your pretend time machine now, how would you have prepared differently when entering into your residency program? And would any of those changes have an impact on how you considered what residency programs you wanted to attend? Yeah, I do think so. I mean, I think that one of the things about radiology is that, you know, you really have to be an expert in almost every discipline of medicine. Um, so it's almost like whatever rotation that you did rotate through as a medical student, that's going to come back and be part of your day-to-day -day life as a radiologist. So, you know, it's very easy for, you know, in med school or really in, even in college to kind of, you know, just kind of glide through a course and think, oh, well, I'm not going to be an OBGYN doctor, so I don't really need to know this about OBGYN. Well, the truth is if you're going to be a radiologist, you can't really kind of turn your mind off during any class because it's all kind of relevant on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so my advice would just kind of be, if you do know you want to do radiology, kind of treat every day as if it's kind of, you know, could eventually be a life or death situation as a radiologist. So when considering all the educational opportunities that are available for residents, what are some of the things that you wish you had taken advantage of or certain topic areas you wish you would have learned more about before you uh, entered into your residency program or before you entered in to being a practicing physician? 
One of the things I really wish I had acquainted myself more in, um, in residency was IT and informatics. Uh, you know, our, my, as wonderful as my residency program was, they just, you know, they didn't promote that as much and, and didn't really, you know, demonstrate to me that that could be a part of my career path in the future. But now we have these wonderful initiatives like RADXX who are seeking to educate and recruit women in radiology, regardless of whether their institution makes these offerings outwardly available. Uh, so I think that that's fantastic. I think that particularly uh, women in informatics in our field are becoming more and more vocal and are um, extending an olive branch to any and everyone who wants to be involved with that. Uh, but I will say that I did try to take advantage of pretty much every opportunity that came my way. Uh, I was very fortunate early in training to uh, acquire a mentor in Sherry Cannon, and she would always tell me that, you know, you need to say yes early on, say yes to everything, say yes to everything. You know, later on in, in, with time, you can refine, you know, what you say no to, but really take advantage of every opportunity because then you know what you really want to um, pursue with your career path or your interests or, or something like that. So um, I did have some unique opportunities, I think, in my residency program compared to other programs. Um, for example, uh, in Kansas, right in my residency, uh, we have a very active radiological society. They're very supportive of political advocacy endeavors. I got to uh, participate in uh, a senatorial campaign uh, where they gave me time off to actually, you know, experience that. So those were just very unique opportunities I'm very grateful for. But, um, you know, overall, I was very happy. But I think informatics would probably be the, the one thing that I wish I would have gotten more involved with early on. Yeah, no, you know, I think Amy kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, informatics is kind of such a hot topic these days. And, and uh, you know, our program, you know, touched on it, but didn't really have much to do with it. And uh, I don't think many do, but to be quite honest, even if they did, I, it would have kind of blown my mind, and I'm not sure I would have been able to comprehend it, because, you know, to me, it's kind of a different, you know, a whole different uh, kind of world. But, um, you know, in terms of other things other than that, you know, I was kind of fortunate to be involved, you know, through leadership of my chairman, Dr. Rawson, and things like, you know, economics, uh, leadership, ethics, all those kind of different things, professionalism. And so I did have a very broad uh, exposure to that. Um, you know, some of the things I wish I would have gotten involved with more are probably just kind of peer-to-peer -peer review groups or just kind of maybe, you know, going to more, you know, voluntary case conferences, it's just probably more just basic radiology type things that I didn't do because I kind of viewed myself as more of a self-studier. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, after going through the board exam and the, the core exam and the certifying exam, it, you know, basically no matter how you slice it, the more exposure you have to different cases, you know, via different people and taught in different ways, um, you know, at the end of the day, you never know which way it's going to click in your head, and you never know which way it's going to be tested on the exam, and you never know which way it's going to, you know, show up on your computer when you're dealing with a real-life patient. So I probably would have put more, you know, attention to those types, you know, maybe small group learning opportunities. I absolutely agree with Rob on that. I think uh, there's, you know, as the saying goes, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. I think as much exposure in any facet is so imperative in training. Just absorbing as much knowledge as you can 
you know, if it's not, you know, taking as many cases as you can, if you're on a C2 rotation or, or participating in a multidisciplinary conference or a tumor board or what have you, uh, I think it's really, really imperative to be involved in all of those aspects. Um, because you really, do, as Rob says, you really don't know what you're going to expect on an exam or in real life, and it just, those are just little things that prepare you more and more for all of the different situations that will lie ahead. Great, thank you. That actually leads me into a follow-up question here, where if you could talk to your past selves, and considering where the field of radiology is right now and what you know about where it's going in the next few years, uh, you talked about informatics, and I think that things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, they're on everybody's minds, wondering how that is going to impact the field of radiology. So if you could consider that when talking to residents who might be entering into practice within the next couple of years, what would be your advice on what is the one thing that they should really concentrate on or focus on to understand in terms of the practice of radiology and what they should know about it before coming out of residency? I would say there's, like you said, there's a lot of talk about robots and machine learning, and I think all that's certainly going to be, you know, a big part of our lives, but I wouldn't be scared off from the field, you know, thinking that it's going to replace us. I think that everything that and I think Amy will agree that kind of everything that we've heard and, and been taught, and we, you know, we spend a lot of time going to the ACR conferences and, and getting information, you know, getting education from the RLI and, and different, you know, various networks that all kind of say the same thing, which is that we'll kind of work side by side with any kind of automation and, um, and, and not to be, you know, afraid of, of a total takeover. Um, in that sense, as, as much as you can learn, uh, you know, in informatics, like we talked about, I think would be great. Um, but the second part of your question was kind of what other things in general I think would, would you want to know just in general looking back. And, and a big one for me, kind of from the private standpoint, you know, being in private practice, would be that, um, you know, even though, even though I did a, a fellowship in breast imaging, you know, I spend, you know, the majority of my time by far, well more than 50%, I mean, well more than 75% just doing kind of general radiology work. And so it's one of those things where, um, you know, when you're a resident, if you have like a, a planned fellowship in mind, you know, oh, I'm going to be a neuro radiologist, so I'm just going to spend all my focus on that. Well, you may end up in a private practice where, you know, you need to be reading body, you need to be reading, you know, chest x-rays all day, you need to be reading some, some mammography. So my advice really to anybody in your training is kind of pretend like your fellowship, you know, is kind of not even going to happen and just treat it as if your four years in residency is all you're going to get because, you know, I think at some point in your life you'll probably end up with more of a broader, uh, kind of a broader field, field of scope of what you'll need to be doing. Thank you. And I know, Dr. Patel, your perspective on this is going to be uh, different and a little bit more nuanced than Dr. Mackey's, considering you're coming from an academic institution as opposed to private practice. So if you could, please. Yeah, but, you know, I do echo a lot of Rob's sentiments. So particularly regarding um, informatics and AI, I totally agree with Rob. I think that particularly in certain, um, you know, when it comes to interventional or breast, I mean, a lot of our subspecialties, you can't replace the human touch. And I think that uh, AI is only going to uh, improve what we do as radiologists. We will definitely not be replaced. I think that, uh, and something that I try to tell the residents here at Beth Israel is that, you know, you want to have other interests in radiology 
and be perceived as a well-rounded radiologist because when you start interviewing for jobs, you know, everyone has great board scores and impeccable resumes and they come from great institutions, but what's going to set you apart from the rest of the pack? And things that can set you apart is being involved in the RLI or the ACR or, you know, other aspects that really demonstrate that or, you know, demonstrate that you provide a unique value to a group. And, you know, when Rob talks about private practice, I agree with him. I think um, one thing I wish I would have done differently is, you know, when I was going through interviewing, I thought, you know, I'm academic all the way, 100%. I don't need to interview for private practice. And I had some mentors that would tell me, just interview academics. You're not going to do private practice. You're not made for it, et cetera, et cetera. And then I had some that said, you know, you may want to do a mix. Like, even though you're so, um, you know, focused on pursuing academics. So I ended up just interviewing in academics. And in retrospect, I think that regardless, even if you think I'm going in academics, no way I'm doing private practice, I think when you're a fellow, it, it would be behoove you to interview in both private practice and academics and, and get a flavor for the different types of practice models. Um, because I think then you can really formulate your opinion of where you really see yourself landing. Um, I think a lot of us, you know, in medicine, we're very type A, and we have this vision in our heads that we're going one direction only, and we're going 100 miles an hour. But we have to remember that uh, paths change, and um, life happens. And so I think it's really important to try to get that exposure uh, to both uh, worlds, and even, you know, government, VA, or what have you, to really figure out what's the best fit for you. Because the fit that you thought initially may not be the fit that you end up uh, choosing. I think that's some uh, really awesome points by Amy. Um, you know, just one thing to add on that. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but throughout your whole life in medicine, for the most part, you're in medical school, you're in residency, you're in fellowship, so you're always in an academic setting. So you don't even really know what a private setting is. And so the way to really yeah. learn that, you know, is to do, is to interview at one. You know, I know some programs mm -hmm. are, are based in private settings, but the overwhelming majority are in academic settings. So until you interview in a private practice group, how can you really say that that's not what you like because you've never been exposed? And, um, mm -hmm. and one thing to go on that, which also goes back to what Amy said, which is that I think her mentor, uh, Dr. Cannon, said it, which is that you don't say yes to everything anymore. Well, that's never more than true than in the case of your interview trail. I mean, if you interview for a group, you know, you're so used to as a resident, yes, I'll be there. Oh, you're working overnight this week, yes, I'll be there. You know, you're, you're working Christmas, yes, I'll be there. You're working... Hanukkah, yes, I'll be there. Well, when you're interviewing for a private or an academic job, when they tell you what your schedule is like, you don't just have to say yes anymore. It's finally a chance to kind of feel out what you want and what you like. And, and in a way, you have a, a lot more kind of more of a power hand in that sense. So we talked a little bit about uh, researching different residency programs, but Dr. Patel, if you could talk a little bit more about uh, interviewing tips, specifically um, kind of what to expect when you're going into your interviews and how you might want to prepare for that, but also just in how you go about um, looking for different places that you want to interview at and what some of those things you might want to consider when looking at residency programs. Yeah, so I, you know, I really think that it, it depends based on your interest. So not only, you know, uh, are you someone that's more interested in, you know, clinical uh, radiology only, or if you really are passionate about research, because that will make a difference. Um, 
depending on uh, how you want to practice. And, and there is quite um, a contrast between different, uh, different jobs. So you really want to take that into consideration, your actual professional interests. You know, what are you uh, trying to achieve in your career? And it's totally fine, you know, if you want to just put in your hours and then, you know, you have the rest of your day to yourself. And there's a lot of radiologists like that, and that's great. But there are some that, you know, have a lot of other interests and do things even outside of work and, um, like I said, are very involved in, in research and, and other aspects of radiology. So those are things to take into consideration. Uh, I think on a personal level, uh, what you really need to take into consideration, too, is a lot of, you know, a lot of people have a family. And particularly if you're a woman um, is a primary caregiver. Um, you know, a lot of we, a lot of women are primary caregivers, and so you want to think about, uh, you know, your support network. Uh, I mean, I don't have children yet. Um, I'm not married yet, but I hope to be married someday, and I hope to have children. So I need to take into consideration, I think, uh, having that support system nearby. And so uh, for a lot of people, uh, in terms of geographical location in their first job, per se, uh, let's say. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's more narrowed. If they want to be close to their, their family that helps them with children or, or what have you, then, uh, they can kind of narrow down the area. And it doesn't really matter in that regard if they want to go into private practice or academics, the location is more important to them. So, um, those are definitely things to take into consideration. Um, I think another thing too is, um, you know, not like I alluded to already, not all jobs are equal, uh, created equal. Uh, some jobs uh, are RVU-based, where if you don't produce the RVUs that they require, you're on the chopping block. So that can add to a lot of pressure. But there are jobs out there that are non-RVU-based. So, you know, you want to look at that as well. I mean, are you okay with um, making sure that, you know, if it is an RVU-based job, are you okay with that? So you, you want to you wanna look into that. Um, I think other things to consider, too, is um, the time commitment. Not all contracts are the same. Some contracts may require you to stay in a job for one year or two years. Some jobs may not require you to be in a job that long. You just have to give a certain day notice. Um, so there's all these different types of contracts. That, and, you you know, like I tell, you know, young, people younger than me who are interviewing for jobs definitely have um, – you know, lawyer, look at your contract. Some people don't go that route and that's perfectly fine. But for, for me, I definitely had a, a lawyer parsing through all this to make sure that there, that I understood everything in the contract and so that when I signed, you know, there wouldn't be any surprises. Unfortunately, uh, just anecdotally for hearing from my colleagues, sometimes despite your best efforts, there are, um, things in a contract that, don't really align with the job itself, but uh, a lawyer can definitely help you uh, parse out at least some of the, the basic things uh, in your contract. So um, those are sort of some of the things that I would kind of suggest. Great. And Dr. Mackey, if you could offer just any of your insights as well as you were looking at different programs and interviewing tips you might have. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, the main thing for me too, uh, I am married um, and my, my wife is from Florida. So just like Amy was saying, you know, that, you know, it's very important a lot of times for, you know, a female primary caregiver to have a support system. Well, mine, for my wife, that meant being in Florida. So that's kind of where we started the uh, job search. So I think that's kind of a factor for, for men as well, is where their, where their wife wants to be. Um, and sh- luckily, you know, it was a place I'm happy to be as well. And so based on, you know, kind of that 
starting, you know, kind of that is like kind of like a starting point. Um, just kind of spread out uh, the net in Florida and just kind of tried to find the best uh, position for me. Um, and that kind of meant, first of all, seeing what was out there. Um, and then once kind of, you know, there was a, an idea of what was out there, just kind of kind of putting them all next to each other on a piece of paper and looking at the details and saying, is this, you know, the kind of place I can see myself, you know, being in the long term? Because, you know, the, really one thing you definitely don't want to do, you know, is end up bouncing around from job to job to job to job too soon. I mean, that could be very, you know, costly, you know, on you. And, you know, it's hard to really establish, you know, a position for yourself within your practice doing that. Um, so from my standpoint, I found a job that, you know, I liked based on the location, um, based on the interview day, uh, you know, meeting with a lot of the people in the group. You know, I thought they were all, you know, really, you know, kind of a professional group, uh, guys that I can get along with, guys and gals. And, um, you know, it was just it was a really good um, fit. Um, and usually you can tell that just by, you know, sometimes there's one person you get along with and everyone else is kind of, you know, lame or you don't really have a good, you know, rapport with. But, you know, but if you can kind of sit down and, you know, have a great conversation and feel like you're a good fit with, you know, five, six, seven different people, you start to realize that that's kind of the place you want to be uh, in combination with, um, you know, the, your responsibilities, what kind of studies you'll be reading, whether it's just general or just focusing on your subspecialty or the reality is in private practice, it's usually a mix of both of those, um, you know, doing some general and focusing on your subspecialty when needed. Um, you yeah, know, those are the kind of the factors that, you know, I, I look for. And then, of course, finally was, um, you know, salary and time off and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the actual shift you'll be working. I think you'll find in private practice there's a lot more flexibility. You know, it's not kind of like your standard, you know, seven to five or eight to five or whatever you get as a resident. You know, it's kind of there's first shift, second shift, third shift. You know, you can work overnights. You can work one week on, one off, one week on, two off. And, you know, pay, of course, will, you know, kind of vary based on, you know, on that and how your group does it, but how the structure in your group is. But there's all kinds of different factors and variables like that to pay attention to in private practice that you don't even, you know, you never have, you're not exposed to having those kind of choices as a, as a resident. As a resident, you just kind of do what you're told. You go with the status quo. But, you know, private practice is a whole different ballgame. So you both had touched upon your personal lives and relationships. And so, uh, Dr. Mackey, if you could first address this, and, and I think it's really interesting because you both are coming from uh, different places here. Dr. Patel, you mentioned that you're single, and, and Dr. Mackey, you mentioned that you are married. And so it'll be interesting to juxtapose these perspectives here. But Dr. Mackey, first, you know, you, you said you were married and you're going into residency and then interviewing and going into practice. Uh, how do you manage the expectations in your relationship and, and how did that affect kind of how you looked at both residency programs as well as when you were looking at pra um, going into practice as well? Yeah, I think I would say the number one thing, you know, luckily I have a very supportive wife. And so the number one thing is to kind of make sure that, you know, she's on board, you know, with everything that, you know, that, I've, you know, I haven't made any decision without, you know, discussing it with her. Uh, you know, this way there's no surprises for her when all of a sudden I tell her that, you know, we're moving to California. Uh, you know, everything that we've done has kind of been a team uh, effort and kind of a team decision. And, you know, that's what I would definitely recommend. You know, if, you know, as much as you may want to do something, if, if your wife or your significant other, you know, isn't happy, um, you know, with, with that decision, then ultimately you're not going to be happy and it's kind of probably not going to end well. So, you know, I, I would say the number one thing there is to, um, you know, just kind of run everything by each other and make sure you're, you're both on board. Uh, thank you. And Dr. Patel, on the flip side, uh, being single, how do you manage both your professional goals and your personal goals when seeking out the relationship and, and trying to manage uh, those time constraints that you might have, both professionally and personally? Well, 
I mean, to be honest, <clears throat> it's pretty tough. So, you know, you particularly in the environment I'm in, so I'm in academics and like Rob has kind of alluded to, you know, there isn't as much flexibility as in private practice with shifts and, and what have you. And so uh, one of the things I will say in academics is definitely if you do tr- plan on going that route, you want to look at the group and see, um, you know, are they, is there a lot of give and take going on? D- does everyone have each other's back? Do they cover for you, et cetera? So, <clears throat> you know, if you need coverage or you need to swap a service or something like that. So um, that's another thing to take in consideration. But yeah, it is tough. Uh, you know, I, I've talked a lot of particularly my female colleagues who are still single and searching and things like that. And, and a lot of us kind of feel the same sentiment that we really devote a lot uh, who are still single. We devote a lot of our 20s to our education and, and particularly with radiology, you know, it takes many years to become a radiologist and you do a fellowship and and it, it's quite a sacrifice. And so then, you know, most of our 20s are sort of, um, ha- you know, we're hammering away at uh, becoming radiologists. And then, you know, we're finished. And we've got that nailed down. And now we're looking at the personal aspect. But then you're trying to juggle a new career and, and getting settled in that, and which comes with totally different challenges coming out of training. And, and there is quite, you know, a learning curve coming out of training and uh, becoming young radiologists. So it is kind of difficult to, to balance that. Um, but if you, you know, for someone like me who really does want to, you know, find a husband and have children, you have to make it a priority. You have to figure out that work-life integration and, and find the, gre- the best partner for you. Um, so one of my mentors, uh, Kate Appleton, she always says that you have to find a partner who champions your efforts. So that's what I'm constantly looking for. I'm looking for someone who is going to support me, who is going to understand why I have to work long hours or a certain shift or why I'm on call on the weekend. So um, I, I have to take those things into consideration. But I mean, I you know don't let it fool you. It is, it is pretty tough to figure out the balance. But uh, you know, I think that you have to make an an earnest effort to try to do so. So we've talked a, a little bit about time management. Now we've talked a little bit about relationship management, and I think that uh, another big thing on residents' minds is money management. It does not take a small amount of both time and or financing in order to become a doctor. And so I know that it is an important thing that is on residents' minds. Uh, so if you could, uh, Dr. Patel, first, any tips or insights that you might have in terms of both time and money management that residents really should be considering as they're entering into practice? So I think when it comes to time management, I think everyone is different. Um, and you have to figure out sort of what works for you. So some people will sort of have a, a list of things to do and they'll sort of get everything knocked out in a day and then maybe take the next day off or whatever. Some people will um, kind of uh, divide it, you know, amongst every day. Some people will put aside, you know, X amount of time to, you know, respond to emails or what have you, or some people will respond throughout the day. So I think when it comes to time management, it really does vary. And I think it really will depend on 
um, your lifestyle. You know, are you, uh, for example, uh, a husband or a wife that has multiple children at home and uh, when you get home, you really can't be doing anything work related? Or are you someone like me that I can go home at the moment and I have time to myself to, to do things work related? So I think it really depends on the individual and what um, is best for you. And I think that over time, uh, your time management will refine. And it's, so it's hard for me to say this is the best method or this is this is the best method. But you figure out what is is uh, best for you. Um, I think in terms of money management, um, you know, uh, one thing that uh, was really cool when I was in fellowship, um, you know, I was at a fellowship where my section chief was very business minded. Um, I already talked about her, Kate Appleton, and she kind of went over with us, you know, what do you need to know in terms of, um, you know, when you're getting out of training, what are this, what are basically, what do you need to check off the box? And, and one of the things she had recommended, which I really, really uh, valued was uh, like a budget calculator. And there are different models. Like if you go online, you could just literally Google budget calculator and, and it can help you sort of budget out, uh, like if, particularly if you have student loans and et cetera, you can kind of budget out um, how much, you know, you need to allot per, uh, for certain things per month. So I think that definitely helps. Um, in terms of other money, money management things, um, I'm constantly, I mean, I don't have much money now, but um, I'm compared to, you know, our older colleagues, but I'm constantly um, in contact with my accountant, with my certified financial planner. You know, I'm already investing in a 401k. So, uh, you know, things like that to hopefully get me on track so that, you know, I don't have to work forever. So, um, but I, I, you know, those are kind of the basics that I, I look at and to really secure my financial future. But I definitely know that Rob has a lot of money management insights. And I actually talk to him a lot about, you know, since he's my friend outside of, uh, you know, work and all that jazz, um, he kind of gives me some really good tips as well. So he could probably talk to a lot of this as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I can start, you know, just briefly on the time management thing at first. You know, I think uh, with time management, probably the most important thing is securing your time up front. So, you know, when you're looking for a job, you know, it's basically laid out for you, you know, what all the jobs offer in terms of time off. And so, you know, if you want, like I, like I mentioned, my current situation, I work a week on, week off. So that's how I manage my time is I know that I have a week where I work and I do nothing but focus on my, on my work. And then I have a week where I just do nothing but focus on my free time and, you know, taking care of, you know, those kind of, you know, household tasks or just enjoying my, you know, time on the golf course. Um, so I, you know, by kind of looking at all the options when I was interviewing, that was kind of the best way I think for me to kind of secure my free time in the future. Um, in terms of financial tips, you know, the best tips I've gotten really have been with the partners uh, in my group, um, you know, that where I work. Um, you know, these guys are completely savvy with it because, you know, for them, you know, partners in a group are also kind of, business, you know, they're entrepreneurs. And so they deal with the ins and outs of this stuff. And, um, you know, from everything from, you know, what to do with your money, how to, you know, when you check off those boxes, when you start a new job, which health, you know, which health plan to get, what high deductible, low deductible, you know, what all that means, you know, how to, you know, get the most kind of tax advantages possible, um, you know, all kinds of things like that. I learned mostly from my, you know, the partners in my group. Now, there are things, though, that I, I did before um, starting with my private practice group, which I highly recommend. And I think pretty much anybody, you know, would say the same That's as a resident, and that's to get your disability uh, insurance policy locked in, as well as um, life. Life, you can wait till you have your, you know, 
life insurance, you really need to wait till you've signed on to your first big paying job because then you'll get a much higher, um, you know, amount of coverage. But with disability, you know, everyone has kind of said that the sooner you can sign up, the better. Um, a lot of plans now will lock in your health and they'll only charge you a monthly rate as if you're um, a, a resident or fellow. But then if you can, you know, show them, you know, that as you get closer to signing on with a big job, you, you send them in your salary and they'll up, they'll up your um, disability coverage without having to put you through the whole health testing and all that again. So the sooner you get something like that, um, the better, because you really need to ensure your, your, your ability to work. Um, so I think that's really a, a huge thing. Another thing, you know, is to try to consolidate your loans. You know, I was able to get, you know, with, I had um, Sally May, which turned into Navient, and that loan was like around 7%. But, you know, if you refinance with SoFi, you know, you can get something like 3 or 4%. And so I think over the life of a loan that saves something like forty or fifty thousand dollars. So that's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, the sooner you can do that, um, I would recommend to consolidate your loans as well. So those are just a few things that you know seem kind of small, but they actually can make a, a pretty significant difference. And I totally agree with Rob um, in terms of consolidating loans and with the disability insurance. So. Um, my employer does provide disability insurance, but I was actually advised to get additional disability insurance. So I have extra disability insurance, particularly um, for my eyes, because that's such a huge part of what we do as radiologists is, you know, if our vision goes and we're, we're pretty much, you know, we're in trouble, you know, we can't, we can't do what we do. And, and, and even with our hands, I guess, if you're doing a lot of procedures, whether you're an interventional or I'm a breast imager, I do a lot of breast procedures. So I totally agree with Rob that disability insurance is really, really important. Yeah. In addition to the, you know, cause all of our employers, you know, uh, will, will offer us, and it's usually a very small policy that our employers will offer us, but yeah, to get a, a supplemental one is what we're talking about here. Great. I want to thank you both for taking the time to, to join us and provide just a, a wealth of insights. I'm sure that many, many residents and medical students will be able to glean a lot of great information from this. So thank you both very much for taking some time out of your busy schedules to join us for this podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for moderating it for us. <laughs>